Welcome to Modern Babylon Cultural Contrarian. This is Ryan. We're going to continue reading from the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. We're up to chapter 8. The title of this chapter is John Knox, Holy Scripture and the Lesser Magistrates. John Knox, the champion of the Reformation in Scotland, who was known to fear no man, who had hazarded his life declaring the truth of God's word, demonstrated in his appellation that the doctrine of the lesser magistrates is thoroughly biblical. He built upon what the Magdeburg pastors had produced in their confession. Knox's appellation, which was written in December of 1558 to Scotland's nobles, is the best treatise ever written on the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. The nobles were the lesser magistrates of the day, and Knox wrote to them in their capacity as such. Knox wrote his appellation or his appeal because the Roman Catholic Church had condemned him and burned him in effigy. He wrote to declare to the nobles as lesser magistrates their responsibility to protect the innocent and oppose those who made unjust decrees. Knox had written to them 14 months earlier, wherein he told them that their chief, chief duty is to vindicate and deliver your subjects and brethren from all violence and oppression to the utmost of your power. Two months later, he wrote them again, stating they had an obligation to defend your brethren from persecution and tyranny, be it against princes or emperors, to the utmost of your power. He repeats in his appellation that those under their care are to be defended from all oppression and tyranny. Knox saw the lesser magistrate had not only the function, but the duty to interpose against oppression and tyranny and act as a buffer between unjust law and the people. Knox insisted that, less, that lesser magistrates have a duty to resist tyranny of superior magistrates when the superior magistrate exceeds his God-given authority or actually makes declarations which are in rebellion to the law of God. He exhorts the nobles in his appellation as such, You are bound to correct and repress whatsoever you know him, the higher magistrate, to attempt expressly repugning to God's word, honor, glory, or what you shall espy him to do against his subjects, great or small. The first text of scripture that Knox cites is Jeremiah 26, 10 through 16. In this passage, the false priests and prophets had condemned Jeremiah to death. The princes of Judah, the lesser magistrates, hear of this and come to the house of the Lord so they can hear what the priests and prophets have to say. Jeremiah is then allowed to speak in his defense wherein he tells the lesser magistrates the same things for which the false priests and prophets have condemned him to death. The lesser magistrates then interpose on behalf of Jeremiah by adjudicating that this man does not deserve to die. Or, in my case, this man does not deserve to be arrested or thrown in prison. Knox chose this passage because the Protestant faith was under attack by church officials from Rome. They were using the arm of the state to persecute him and others. So this was a perfect text for Knox to employ in order to encourage the nobles to exercise their authority as lesser magistrates, both in his defense 
and the defense of others. Often one does not notice things in Scripture until a real-life situation brings it to the foreground out of necessity. Such was obviously the case with Knox. He goes on to build his doctrine in which he cites more than 70 passages of Scripture. Knox appeals to Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an unjust law commanding all people to worship an image he had built for some reason. I have this image of Veggie Tales and the chocolate bunny. The bunny, the bunny. Oh, I love the bunny. Sorry. Three of Daniel's friends who feared God refused to worship the idol. As punishment, they were thrown into a flaming furnace to be burned alive. But God delivered them. You know who those were? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Just a little Bible trivia there. What is important to note is that they acted in fealty to God as individuals. They also acted in the capacity of lesser magistrates. Verse 12 makes it clear that these three men had positions of authority in the Babylonian kingdom. They not only stood against this unjust law as individuals because of their faithfulness to the Lord, but they interposed on behalf of the people as lesser magistrates. Notice their defiance to this unjust law. It was theologically driven. They responded to Nebuchadnezzar's threats of the furnace by saying, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, him throwing them into the fiery furnace, our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Notice their stand was theocentric. What made them understand this was an unjust law was that it stood in opposition to God's law, and as followers of the Lord and as lesser magistrates, they had a duty to disregard it and stand in defiance of it. Insert here, postmodern Christendom doesn't even want to look at the furnace or get near the heat of the furnace because they're afraid. They're not afraid of God's wrath. They're afraid of the fleshly and societal pressures and they steer clear. They bend before the chocolate bunny because they're afraid. I stand in fear of trembling of Christ the King and the wrath of God's judgment. And I, why do I have to keep saying this? I'm afraid too. When I was standing before those police and they did those things and they, they obviously witnessed me shaking, whether that was a physiological or a neurological response or part of my body health. Yeah, it's a natural response to be afraid of those people that have implements to cause you harm. But I knew I was protected by God in that. My flesh may suffer. Amen. But I know with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they went into that furnace, they were protected in Christ and they felt no pain. All of the martyrs through history, while they were being disemboweled or hung upside down, 
I promise you, those martyrs felt nothing because their flesh was just a carcass and God protected their soul. Anyway, I continue. Knox also brings up Daniel chapter 6, wherein Daniel and all King Darius's subjects were ordered by royal statute not to pray. Daniel opened his windows and prayed away, again, not only out of concern that he would honor or remain obedient to the Lord as an individual, but also in the capacity of a lesser magistrate. He, too, acted as a buffer between unjust law and the people. In another case, Knox cites 2 Kings chapter 11 and points out that Jehoiada, the churchman of the time, calls upon and acts in conjunction with the captains of the guard, who are lesser magistrates, to restore order in the kingdom and dispose the wicked queen, Attilia. In a lengthy passage, Knox cites Jeremiah 36, 9 through 31, to oppress upon the nobles of Scotland just how grave and important their duty as lesser magistrates is to secure just law and peace in the land. In this passage, Jeremiah has written a prophecy regarding the doom of Jerusalem by Babylon. He has his assistant, Baruch, read the prophecy in the house of the Lord. The princes, lesser magistrates, hear of it is its reading and have Baruch come and read it to them as well. Upon hearing the prophecy, the scripture says of the princesses, they looked in fear one to another. They feared not only because of the impending judgment, but also because they knew that King Jehoiakim would be outraged by such pronouncement as he was bent on fighting against Babylon. They told Baruch that he and Jeremiah should go hide and let no one know where they are while they would go to reveal the prophecy to the king. Sure enough, the king responded negatively to the prophecy. He cut it with the knife and buried it in the fire of his hearth. Knox points out to the nobles of Scotland that the response of the princes of Judah as lesser magistrates was that they did not interpose. The scripture says upon seeing the king cut and burn the scroll with the prophecy that the lesser magistrates were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, though thought only of their own self-preservation. Rather than to do what was right and necessary, they failed to stand in the gap. The king then orders the arrest of Baruch and Jeremiah Knox rightly castigates the princes of Judah and points out to the nobles of Scotland the result, namely, increased judgment not only upon the king's family, but upon the whole nation. I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and on men of Judah, all the doom that I pronounced against them. But they did not heed Knox not only wanted the nobles or the lesser magistrates of Scotland to see that they had a duty before God to act against unjust laws or edicts in their nation, but that their failure to act would affect the whole nation, as so it is with any lesser magistrate in any nation down through history and in the future. In his appellation, Knox takes to task those lesser magistrates who use the higher magistrate as an excuse for their inaction. He says to the nobles of Scotland as lesser magistrates, shall you be excused 
if with silence you pass over his iniquity? Be not deceived, my lords. You are placed in authority for another purpose than to flatter your king in his folly and blind rage. He later exhorts them, saying, Only at this time I thought expedient to admonish you, that before God it shall not excuse you to allege, We are no kings, and therefore neither can we reform religion nor yet defend the persecuted. Finally, Knox states disdainfully, For now, the common song of all men is, We must obey our kings, be they good or be they bad, for God has so commanded. And so it is no different in our day. Lesser magistrates have little to no appreciation for their own authority as magistrates, nor do they understand their grave duty in the sight of God to interpose against them, against bad law made by higher magistrates. They often hide behind the excuse, it is the law of the land. Recently, I was at a school board meeting. This is not me. This is out of the book. Recently, I was at a school board meeting where many had gathered to oppose bad policy that the elected school board was implementing in the schools. The board was imposing the acceptance of homosexuality upon the students. They played the common song, telling us all that their hands were tied. They were just following state law, which was just following federal law, and were powerless to do other than what they were commanded and expected to do. This is false. Amen. They actually had a duty to stand against the bad law and refused to implement it, to interpose on behalf of the students and the parents whose children would be corrupted by this bad policy. But they showed no fear of God. No concern for the parent, these parents or their children. Rather, they hid behind the common song, We are not kings. We must simply obey whether it be good or bad. Take it up with those who made the law. They should have interposed. They had a God-given duty and right to interpose. Scripture illustrates repeatedly that God is pleased with the lesser magistrate. Whoops, I lost myself. Uh, scripture illustrates repeatedly that God is pleased with the lesser magistrate who acts against unjust or immoral law, who refuses to sing the common song. As an example of this, Knox cites the account of Ebed-Melech in Jeremiah 38, 7-13. Jeremiah was in the dungeon, being held prisoner on a false charge of treason. Ebed-Melech was a lesser magistrate in King Zedekiah's house. He informs the king of Jeremiah's mistreatment and interposes on Jeremiah's behalf by saying, My lord, the king, these men, the ones who put Jeremiah in the dungeon, have done evil in all they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die of hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. King Zedekiah, upon hearing Ebed-Melech's interposition, orders this lesser magistrate to take 30 men and remove Jeremiah from the dungeon. Ebed-Melech acted righteously, even though all other lesser magistrates either wanted Jeremiah dead or stood by in silence, concerned only for their own well-being. The Lord tells Jeremiah that after Jerusalem falls and he is released from prison, 
is going to go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of men whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword. But your life shall be a surprise to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Yes, God rewards lesser magistrates who stand in the gap in defiance of oppression and tyranny, and will interpose even to their own hurt for the sake of others and for the sake of truth. Folks, remember when I started reading this, that I felt like I was writing this book with the author and that my actions, as human as they are, and as how viewed from the eyes of the external world, look bizarre. But I stand in God's truth. I stand in honor and appreciation and recognition of the unleanable, the, the, the sovereign freedoms that are bequeathed to me through the, the Creator. The permission is His to grant, not that I concede to others that are divinely provided. I will stand. I'm not afraid of the fire. While my body may tremble and shake, be standing before men with sev- several implements on their utility belt to ensure my obedience and submission and throw me into a dungeon, throw me into the dungeon, put shackles of slavery to show me that you are going to put me in my place. Am I going to resist your violence? No. Did Jeremiah resist? No. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resist? No. They walked in. I stood. I turned my back and I put my hands behind me and I say, go and commit your unlawful acts against me. I will not resist your violence. You may kidnap me. You may use pain compliance torture devices, even though you want to call them handcuffs to make it less violent. I get it. You're wretched, wicked humans just doing your job, not willing to interpose for me. You're just going to follow the edicts of those in your chain of command. I get it. You're wretched, wicked, sinful humans. I get it. I'm a wretched, wicked, sinful human too. But I am not going to use violence. I'm going to honor God. I want to interpose for those children in that school district that are receiving commands under the obedience. The school board is acting as slaves to the master of the state and the federal government for money and their sense of pride in the position of the benches which the dais they occupy. All of them but one. They ridicule, they mock, they chastise that one other interposer who sits in the board and says, I will not bend to this unrighteousness. You do not have the authority which you claim you have, and I will not affirm it, and I will register my objection and defiance to what you do. Because I, that interposer on the board, 
swore an oath with the true intent and fear and trembling of the authority in which he was professing that oath before God, that he fears the judgment of wrath of God in his capacity that he's affirming to sit in that board and say, whoo, I'm not going to do that because I know there's a judgment of man. But when I'm on it, when I'm walking up to the steps and I am presented with the veil and they open the book, his name wants to be in that book. All of those other people that are in the role of the lesser magistrate and bowing under to the authority and doing things unlawfully, they have no assurance their name is in the book because they know they have been warned and they're defiant of those that claim God and know truth. I'm thankful for this author. I'm thankful for this book. And it's, yeah, it reaffirms my closely held beliefs, which are rooted in scripture. As I end this, we're going to continue into the next chapter on my next broadcast. This is powerful, folks. The postmodern church cannot read this in a small group session. They cannot preach it from the pulpit and they can't be talking through scriptural truths of Jeremiah, King Zedekiah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar. They can't do it. Because why? They need to pander to the noses and the nickels sitting in the pews to provide the, the loud volume raucous of a Mars Hill experience pandering to the Stoics and the Epicureans and scratching the itching ears. And proclaiming the truth, why don't you welcome people into your sanctuary adorned with the American flag inside the sanctuary where you're bowing to the state? Why don't you provide them with the ability to buy some incense? So while they can render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give them the incense to put it on the altar of Caesar as well. I call the pastors out. Why? Will you not stand on God's truth? Repent. You have people in your congregation that are claiming school board members acting in the capacity of lesser magistrates are good people when they're doing things in directly opposition of God's goodness. These people obedient to the state must say that you must remain silent regarding the fight regarding Roe v. Wade, whichever way that decision winds up in the later, in later in life, it took 50 years to get rid of that freaking legislation from the bench. But allow the state to be what the state is, wicked, and shut your pie hole and stop objecting to abortion of babies. Stop it. Submit to the state. The state is ruled. They have decided. California can say, Maybe they'll say at 26 weeks after birth that it'll be okay to abort a baby. That's the state. Submit to the state. If they want to put kitty litter in the bathrooms for the furries that come into the school, obey the state. Submit. Surrender. Shut up. But if you're going to stand on Christ as King and, and, and righteousness in the Bible, do it in love. Do it in love and interpose. For the sake of your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, stop being the hypocrite, stop applying the double standard, and stop living with the asterisk, 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 
of your life, that you know what is right and true, but you choose not to approach the furnace because you're afraid and own it. I accept my fear. I expect my response to fear. And I have coping mechanisms to manage my fear. The whole world needs therapy. And it resides in this wonderful, wonderful text. And you know what the text is? It's basic instructions before you leave earth. Pretty basic instructions before you leave this earth. It's called the Bible. Read it, know it, study it, ingest it. I claim that the only ability for you to discern the promptings of the Holy Spirit is directly related to how you ingest God's word. If you are not ingesting God's word, how do you know you're not being swayed by a demon as opposed to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will pull from the inventory of what you've ingested in your brain into studying and reading God's word to rebuke the satanic or evil influence. But if you have no inventory, how can you state that your prompting is of the Holy Spirit and not demonic without God's foundation, foundational truth? So, sorry, this was not part of the lesson out of that book, but it's out of the lesson of Ryan's worldview. Eat the fish, spit out the bones, put this in your intellectual pipe and smoke it. Have a great day. Take care.